it really requires a lot of self-reflection and a lot of self-awareness to know like, well, what do I really want for myself in five years? How does the answer to that question now guide me in the direction of where I want to go? Hey everybody, Emily Abadi here. You are listening to another installment of Hurdle Moment from Hurdle, a wellness-focused podcast where I chat with everyone from your favorite athletes to top experts and industry CEOs about their highest highs, toughest moments, and everything in between. We all go through hurdles in life, and my goal through these discussions is to empower you to better navigate yours and move with intention so that you can stride toward your own big potential. And of course, have some fun along the way. For today's episode, I'm chatting with Liz Beecroft. She is a psychotherapist for athletes and creatives based here in New York City. And today we are tackling the topic of how to create a five-year plan, how to navigate the anxiety that comes with creating a five-year plan. I have y'all in my DMs all the time talking about strategies. You know I love a good planning moment. I have spoken about on the show how I love to do quarterly summits with myself to go over the goals that I have, where I'm at, do a little bit of a self-audit. And so it's no wonder that I asked Liz to come on the show and give me her input. We talk about how to navigate planning without getting overwhelmed, as well as what to do when you do feel stuck, when you do feel like it's just way too much to handle, and why acknowledging that feeling can be the first step to getting to where you actually want to go. We also talk about how feelings can play a really big part in this, and the importance of embracing life as it happens, being honest with yourself, about where you're at currently, and ultimately, again, where you want to go. Now, of course, gotta do a little shout out. This episode is actually coming out on Liz's birthday. So happy birthday to Liz, her and I, fellow Geminis. And a little bit of housekeeping here. I'm hosting a live podcast with my friends at Nike on Global Running Day next week here in New York. I'm gonna share all of those details in my Instagram story today when this episode goes live on May 31st. And as a part of that, I'm going to be answering your running questions from gear to tactics, training to warmups, you name it, with the help of Nike running coach, Jess Woods. If you have a question you want us to answer, click on over to the show notes and click leave me a voice message and you might just get lucky. I would love to. Nothing's off limits. Make sure you're following along with Hurdle over at Hurdle Podcast. I am over at Emily Abadi. And with that, Let's get to hurdling. Today, I am sitting down with Liz Beecroft. She is a New York City-based psychotherapist. She works with athletes and creatives. How are you doing, Liz? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I am so excited to have you on the show. We recently worked together on an article that I wrote for Wondermind. Did you always foresee yourself getting into this line of work? No, I actually really wanted to be an orthodontist because I had braces like four times. Even as an adult, I had braces. And I don't know why I thought that was my path in life, but I ended up ultimately hating organic chemistry. And then I changed my major to psychology. 
And now, you know, in hindsight, I look back and I'm like, it makes a lot of sense why I ended up where I am now, because in my private practice, I primarily work with athletes and creatives. Um, And it's so funny. Last night, I was in a session with my therapist and we were talking a lot about my high school basketball coach and how there's a lot of toxicity that had happened. So full circle, I'm now helping athletes who hopefully don't have any toxic coaches or people in their life. (laughs) Hopefully not. I love that right off the bat, you kind of brought attention to the fact that as a therapist, you work with a therapist. We hear this saying so often, even coaches need coaches. Why do you think that it's so important that you yourself also seek out help and attention? Yeah. I mean, because at the end of the day, we're all human beings with emotions and a limited capacity for what we can take in. Um, And so, you know, our jobs, the nature of our jobs, we're hearing a lot, you know, from people, whether it's the highs, the lows, the traumatic experiences. And it's hard to not, you know, let that sit with you outside of, you know, sessions. Um, So to have an outlet for myself is super important because it really allows me to show up for my clients in a a way that I'm, you know, healthy mentally. Tell us a little bit about opening your own private practice. Yeah. So I actually, prior to private practice, worked for a foster care organization for five years. Um, And once I got my LCSW license, that's when I decided it was time to go into private practice. And so I was kind of doing both at the same time. And then eventually during COVID was when I made the leap to be full-time private practice. And I also do a lot of work with sneakers and streetwear and sports in general. It's just a passion of mine. I was an athlete myself. And that's kind of where I pivoted my private practice into is working with creatives and athletes because something I'm passionate about, but it's also something I really understand just as a therapist can help those people. So yeah, that's really cool, though, that you're finding a way to connect your passions for those that may not be familiar with the term LCSW and what goes into uh, gaining that certification. Do you want to give them a little bit of intel on that? Yeah, for sure. So my master's is in social work. I have a MSW. um, And once you graduate, you have to take an exam, um, depending on the state that you're in, to obtain your LMSW license, which is your licensed master social work. And then if you want to do more clinical work or, you know, open your own private practice, you really kind of need your LCSW, which is your licensed clinical social worker license. Um, So it takes about three years from when you get your LMSW until you can get your LCSW. You need 3,000 clinical hours and 100 supervisory hours that all have to be signed off on. And then a whole lot of studying that goes into taking this exam. And if you pass, you're smooth sailing. And luckily, I passed on my first try. Wow, that's awesome. So I love to hear that you had an idea, you pivoted a little bit along the way, but you found yourself in being able to do this work that from the way that you speak about it seems really fulfilling. Yeah, I love it. And I think, you know, even when I was a teenager, like I didn't even realize this was something I could do, you know, and even now I'm going to be 32 literally next week and trying to just still navigate my career and learning new things about how you can really combine your passions into what you do is a really beautiful thing. So today we're here to talk about planning specifically 
the anxieties and all of the feelings that can come up with creating what we often refer to as a five-year plan. I feel like it's like one of the first questions that comes into play when you're talking to anyone about business, but also bigger than business, even your relationships, your friendships. I think during COVID, we heard this a lot. It's like, where do you want to be a few years down the road? And so I wanted to bring you in to talk about just the concept of planning and how we can get over some of the hurdles that go hand in hand with that. So do you hear this a lot in your practice, people having anxiety about coming up with some sort of a plan? Yes, quite often, actually, especially with creatives, um, because that work, there is such a change right now happening, you know, whether it's with NFTs or AI, and there's a lot of anxiety just in how those new mediums can be integrated or potentially harmful for a creative. Right. So when someone is asked about creating some sort of a plan, why is anxiety a frequent byproduct of hearing that question? Yeah. Well, when you think of anxiety, what it really stems down to is getting your thoughts either caught up into the future or into the past in a moment where you don't have any control over. Um, it also often brings up a lot of fear, nervousness, worry, and you're no longer present in that moment. And so when you think of a five-year plan, you're really forcing yourself to think into the future, which can bring up a lot of unknowns, a lot of uncertainties, questions that we might not have answered. And I think too, it it really requires a lot of self-reflection and a lot of self-awareness to know like, well, what do I really want for myself? And in five years, how does the answer to that question now guide me in the direction of where I want to go? And I think for a lot of people, like we are always evolving. We are, we all are always growing that like sometimes we put a level of concreteness to this five-year plan that makes it seem like we have to stick by exactly that plan and not give ourselves the grace to acknowledge that it can change and, and it's okay if it does. Yeah. So what I'm hearing you say is that oftentimes that anxiety can become a roadblock, can make people feel stuck. What can be the benefit of acknowledging that you feel stuck in that moment? Yeah. I think the benefit of that is it gives you then the openness to really decide where you want to go. People feel stuck, I think, because we often feel like we have to have an answer. We have to know exactly what it is we want to do. And sometimes we don't, you know, and that's perfectly fine. But feeling stuck, you're feeling like you need to be on a path a certain way. A plus B equals C or one plus one equals two. And what happens is that means then our decision making comes into play, you know, how we network comes into play the, you know, specifically in our career, whatever the five-year plan entails, like the decisions that we make have to kind of fit what we mold out for ourselves. And so feeling stuck could sometimes even be due to following what society might tell us we should do or what our parents or friends might be telling us we should do. But maybe subconsciously, it's not what we want to do. And we're being pulled in another direction. And that can make you feel stuck. Or it could just be because you genuinely just don't know what it is you want. You're open to new opportunities. And that's a really beautiful thing. 
Yeah. Being open is definitely beautiful. And also understanding that you have the opportunity to do some self-inquisition to figure out what happens next, right? So what I'm Mm -hmm. hearing you say is that this then becomes an opportunity to do that level of self-inquiry, to sit down and start to hash out what feels right for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it's really important to acknowledge like just your overall identity of who you are as a human being, a person, because, you know, oftentimes, and when I think of a five-year plan, my mind immediately goes to career, but that doesn't necessarily have to mean career. And I think it's important that it doesn't always just mean career because our identities are more than just what we do as our careers. And so when we think of our five-year plan, it's also important to think of all those aspects of our identities. Are we a mother, a sister, a son, a brother? Like, do we like to snowboard? Do we like to bake? Do we like to play basketball? Like, what else do we do in our lives that we tie ourselves to that brings us fulfillment? And how do we also integrate that into the plan? Because feeling stuck can sometimes also mean like you're not being able to cater to those other pieces of who you are. Right. I think it's also like being honest with yourself, right? And understanding that there are so many different ways that each and every single one of us identify. So this then goes back to perhaps an evaluation of your values and what your priorities are. If your priority, uh, again, we wrapped about you being in New York, but like maybe wanting to get out of here at some point soon. Okay. Well, if your priority is in five years to be living in the Connecticut suburbs, then you have to think about the other things that are within your control so that you can get to where you want to be five years down the line. But bigger than that, something that I've been doing a lot of lately is asking myself how I want to feel by X. So let's bring that into the equation. If we're thinking about a five-year plan, how does it serve you, or maybe it doesn't, to think about how you want to feel? I think that is incredibly important because what that does is it really helps you understand how your thoughts and your actions align with what moods or emotions come up for you. So, you know, like for example, if I'm consistently putting myself in a situation or and being around people that I know are draining, that I don't really necessarily enjoy being around, that's going to make me feel maybe discouraged, right? Or sad, which then means in five years, if I'm continuing to stay around those people, that's not going to align with that goal of how do I want to feel in five years if that feeling is not discouraged or sad. So it's really trying to, I think it helps bring your goals into alignment with the emotions that you want to evoke. Because if those don't align, then the chances of them happening are reduced. And it's interesting to hear you say that because I don't necessarily believe that the first thought to, okay, in five years, I want to feel X is doing an inventory about what's in your circle right now. You know, so often on the pod, I feel like this is the theme of 2023. I'm talking about how energy finds like energy. And so being honest with yourself about what's surrounding you in this moment can be a pretty good indicator of what's available to you as you move forward. I think boundaries is a big theme in a five, in any type of plan, right? Because you have to have 
healthy boundaries. You can't have too porous boundaries or too rigid because, you know, you still need to be open to opportunities that might not fit within that ideal plan, but at the same time, not allowing the unnecessary things that don't align with those goals to continue entering our lives either, whether that's people, places, things, thoughts. Um, you know, there's so many ways we can set boundaries. What It's not just setting a boundary with a person. You can set financial boundaries. You can set environment boundaries, you know, and I think like thinking in that aspect too really helps us give us like some type of an outline or a structure for what that five-year plan looks like. Right. And I I love what you said earlier about the idea that it's okay if the plan needs to shift. I know from plans that I have set in motion in the past that sometimes getting out of your own way to allow for that shift can be (laughs) truly, truly difficult. What advice do you have to offer to someone who may be hitting that hurdle, that roadblock right now? Yeah. I think look at those hurdles and those roadblocks as wins. You know, we oftentimes when we're faced with an obstacle that is stressful, we view them as losses or, you know, obstacles that aren't getting us to the point that we want to be. But if we reframe the way we think about it as this is actually something that's telling me and correcting the path that I'm on, like if I'm hitting an obstacle in life because I don't like I just, you know, if I just wake up today and say, oh, I decided I don't actually even want to be a therapist tomorrow, that I really just want to focus on doing the consulting that I do in the mental health space, then to me, that also is a win because it's giving me insight into what it is I truly want. And so I think having the reframe is so important because when we get caught up in the stress around those obstacles we can avoid, right? That's where the anxiety comes from because we don't have the clear answer, but it is kind of giving us an answer. It just might not be the answer that we had initially thought it was going to be. So seeing it as like those obstacles are answers. They're just not what we foreshadowed when we originally made the plan and being flexible and adaptable in the process, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it totally makes sense. And I think that the biggest obstacle or hurdle in these scenarios is often that overwhelming feeling that I'm back at square one. And, you know, that's so applicable in a myriad of situations, right? I mean, the first one that comes to mind is getting out of perhaps like a long-term relationship. And it's like, oh, I invested three years into this thing and now I'm back where I started. But the reality of that and what you're getting at here is truly that you're not actually where you started at all because you have three years of learnings under your belt to equip you to the thing that's next for you, the thing that will happen for you as you move forward. But still that low feeling, that square one feeling, it's understandable and it's undeniably something that we all experience. Yeah. Yeah. It's all about perspective and looking at it as it's just fine tuning our skill set and our experiences and you know we need to t- try things in order to learn if we like them or not we can't sit on the sidelines and watch and decide oh i can do that or i can't do that we need to integrate ourselves into whatever it is and that's truly how we're going to learn if this is what's for us or not and 
that is a that is a skill that is climbing up the ladder, getting a step in the right direction, because without that, then you wouldn't even have that next decision to make. Right. And this really does like go back to your how we started this kind of touches on your journey, right? Thinking that you wanted to be an orthodontist, but realizing that organic chemistry was absolutely miserable for you. So you were able to then take that feedback. I'm sure at the moment, maybe it felt some kind of way and then be like, but what actually does serve me? What actually feels right for me? And Mm -hmm. in turn, get into a career that does really feel fulfilling. Yeah, absolutely. And knowing too that like you don't have to have the answer right away. Like if you're hit with an obstacle or you're faced with the reality that you don't suddenly like the path that you're currently on, like give yourself a little bit of time to figure out where you want to pivot that path to. And knowing that like sometimes just sitting with yourself, taking a break, resting, just channeling your inner child, if that means what you need to do, whatever it is, that's okay. Like you don't have to just suddenly know I'll have that aha moment. Like it will come just might take some time. Right. Experimentation is the way. So let's make this applicable. Let's bring it into focus here. Someone is working on what they think is a purposeful and great five-year plan. And even though they can feel very sure that it is bringing them up the right tracks to the top of the roller coaster, they are still feeling like, holy hell, what am I doing? How can they make that experience feel a little bit less overwhelming? Yeah, I think one is to really have a strong support system. Um, And I think that support system needs to, something I tell my clients a lot is to make sure your support system is made up of people who are in similar industries as you, as well as people who are in completely opposite industries as you. Like one of my best friends is in like pharmaceutical advertising. And I love it because it's such a different experience for her that like her viewpoints really matter to me because she's looking at things from a completely different lens. And that is that brings a lot of value to my life. And I think when we surround ourselves with only a support system that are either yes people or think very similarly, like it's we're not being challenged. So I think having a strong support system of people who will one validate what your experience is because it really is overwhelming to stick to a five year plan. And two, also just be able to help guide you in whatever way you need guidance. But then also, I think I'm a big proponent of writing things down. Oftentimes, when we're thinking of our five-year plan, it's all staying up inside of our minds mentally. And brain dumping is such a powerful, powerful tool that like you really can just, whether you get a huge piece of paper and literally map out your plan or you journal about it or you write it down, what that's doing is it's taking all of the anxious thoughts or all of the thoughts that we're having from our minds and putting them out onto pen and paper. It doesn't feel like we're holding on to them and they're only staying inside. It gives this level of reality to them. And what that does is it helps us reflect. It helps us really look to see, like, measure our progress. How far are we? How far have we come? What do we still have to do? How attainable is that? How realistic is it? And what is the timeline for that? If you think of SMART goals, they're short, measurable, achievable, realistic, and timely. And they're incredibly important when you have a five-year plan breaking that down into increments and making sure that you're celebrating those small victories along the way, recognizing your triumphs because five years is a really long time. 
And it's really easy to get caught up into like, oh my God, I'm only one year in. I have four more to go. Like, you know, if you look at it through a broad lens like that, it's going to be debilitating at times. It's going to create a lot of anxiety. So trying to narrow your lens down to maybe six months, you know, even though that six months is a part of a bigger plan, having your focus just be on a shorter period of time can also be really helpful. Right. So two things to double click on here. The first thing being the power of brain dumping. I love this term. I think it's great. Mm -hmm. So getting everything out from inside your head, whether they're anxious thoughts or not, having the opportunity to then see it in front of you allows you to look at it in a different lens. And then the second thing here is really the benefit of creating smaller plans within your big plan, right? Because when you have smaller measurable plans. We love a smart acronym here on hurdle that that allows you to celebrate the wins as they come. Because if you're only celebrating a win every five years, no wonder it's going to feel tiring on that note. When someone gets tired on their journey, when it comes to making their five-year plan, do you have any advice to offer them? Because it's not necessarily, I would say that this person is unsure that this is something that they still want, but it's more so that like, again, we just get worn down. Burnout is more prevalent than ever. You don't need me to tell you that. So what's a person to do? Yeah. I mean, my first instinct is to tell them to listen to their body because if your body's feeling tired and you're having either physical or mental symptoms of burnout, then that's a good indicator that you need to rest and you need to recharge. And you need to maybe just take a break and step away from that plan or building that plan to really just cater to what your needs are in that moment. And that's that's totally fine to do. Resting is productive and resting and recharging is something that will help us continue on that journey of the five-year plan. And I think it's a really crucial piece of a five-year plan is to also allow time for self-care, recharging, resting, vacations. And if that's all you can think about, then you're not really going to feel motivated. You're going to potentially lose confidence. You're going to maybe deal with some imposter syndrome. There's a lot of negative mental health components that can come from pushing yourself too hard when you're burnt out. And, you know, research shows that if you try to just push through or have that push through mentality, that it actually takes you back quite a few steps because not only are you physically tired, you're mentally tired, and then you just become checked out and disinterested in what you are trying to achieve. So um, my advice on that would just be to find something that you just genuinely love. If you want to binge watch all of Sex in the City again, then do it. You know, whatever it is to just let yourself chill for a second. Yeah. I mean, I definitely binge watched Sex in the City, The OC. I'm like trying to think about everything else I watched during the pandemic. And I was like, what am I doing? <laughs> what am I doing? And also, you know what I can liken this to? It's like the same dichotomy to taking rest days, even though sometimes they feel counterintuitive, right? From your traditional workout plan. It's like the rest day, the day off enables you to go after your big goals, regardless of what Mm -hmm. they might be, because it allows your body the time to repair itself so that you can show up once again. So the same thing goes for your mental health and to combat this idea that rest can be seen as lazy or taking time off means that you don't actually want the thing that you say that you want. That's BS. Rest is an investment. 
a healthy investment into that plan. It's crucial. Crucial. Is there anything we haven't covered when it comes to smart strategies for setting yourself up for a five-year plan? Is there anything else that we can be doing to take care of ourselves during this process so that we can actually get the thing that we're after? One thing I actually was just talking to a client about recently was staying open-minded in the process, trying to find that balance between like staying on track to what your goal is, but also not turning down opportunities that might not align with that five-year plan. Because you know, those opportunities might be just what you need to reevaluate that plan or to have a epiphany experience where you're just kind of like, actually, I really want to go in this direction. And sometimes we get too hyper-focused on our five-year plans and we and they become too rigid. And my biggest thing is finding the balance between being open, staying on track, because you never know what's going to come your way. And if you're staying too rigid and you turn something down, you might miss out on something that can change that trajectory for the better. Be open to the universe. I love it. Liz, this was really helpful. I think that there are a lot of motivated people that are listening to this episode right now, and I'm sure they'd love to follow along with you for more motivation going forward. So how do the hurdlers keep up with you? How do they follow along with you? Give us your details. Absolutely. So I have two Instagram accounts that I am on. My private practice is mental sesh, M-E-N-T-L dot S-E-S-H. And that's where you'll find all of the mental health content I put out into the world. And then my personal Instagram is literally just me as a human being. Um, You don't see too much mental health content on there because aside from being a therapist, I love fashion. I love sports. And that's what you're going to get on that account. So that's Liz, L-I-Z, the letter B, and then Croft, C-R-O-F-T. Beautiful. I'm over at Emily Abadi and at Hurdle Podcast. Another hurdle conquered. Catch you guys next time. <laughs>